Praise the Lord. Good morning. Isn't it great to be in God's house to hear God's voice? So let us uh, turn to Romans 8th chapter. Let us read uh, the first 13 verses of Romans 8th chapter. Romans 8, let, us, let me read. It is, uh, I know some of you memorize scripture. If you have to memorize whole chapters in the scripture, this is one of those, Romans 8th chapter, Romans 12th chapter, Hebrews 12th chapter, besides the Beatitudes that we have had. This is one of those amazing scripture portion that we will do well to, to memorize. Let us read the first 13 verses of Romans 8th chapter. I'm reading from the King James. It is a little bit older, but you get used to it as I go through it. Uh, Romans 8, chapter 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do you mortify the deeds of the body? Ye shall live. Shall we pray one more time? Loving Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for the word you gave us. Lord, we pray that you'll bless it to us. Lord, that you will speak to us. Lord, I confess that I'm a man of unworthy lips, that I do not deserve to be here to represent you, to speak on your behalf. But Lord, you can use a donkey for your purpose. So Lord, I pray that you will use me to bring glory to your name, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we see some doctrinal, amazing doctrinal truths here. And I want to zoom in on verse 13. It says, For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 16, chapter, verse 22. He said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me. Matthew, uh, Galatians 5.24 also says, they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh 
with its passions and desires. They that are Christ's have crucified the flesh. So I just want to talk about the way of the crucified life, the way of the crucified life. I shared a little bit of this before in a worship hour, just a little bit, and I was inspired by it, by a book written by John Owen called The Mortification of Sin in Believers. Mortification of Sin in Believers by John Owen. And I just want to focus on this uh, specific verse where it says, if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now, when Jesus talked about it, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and pick up his cross and follow me, he's not saying that uh, the way of salvation is by going to the cross. Not at all. Christ died for us on the cross. There's no reason for any one of us to go to the cross for the purpose of salvation. Uh, we see this uh, in the videos, in the news all the time. Every time there's Good Friday, there's somebody somewhere on the earth, somewhere, enacting the scene of crucifixion. That is superstition. Some of them may be doing it with good intent. I cannot judge them. But to go back to the cross for the purpose of salvation is going back to the works, works salvation. We are not saved by works of any kind. Salvation is one of those five, uh, five solas we see in uh, theology. We study systematic theology. They talk about five solas, sola scriptura, sola fideo, sola gratia, sola Christo, sola dia gloria, meaning that there's only five solas. Only by faith we are saved. Only by grace we are saved. We have that uh, famous uh, phrase, uh, Ephesians 2nd chapter 8 and 9, for by, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no room for works. It's only by faith and only by grace and only by Christ. No other name under heaven whereby we might be saved, Acts 4.12. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's by Christ alone, and it's by Scripture alone. For we are saved by faith, and faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Only by the Word of God salvation is brought about, and it is only for the purpose of the glory of God. Salvation of man is for the glory of God. God talked about it, the mission statement for creating man, I have created man for my glory. That's the mission statement for creating man. God's glory. That's the purpose of creating man. Now salvation is brought about by repentance. The very first statement, the very first gospel statement preached to the human beings as John the Baptist came in from the wilderness and to the people. He said, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The very first statement, where Jesus preached the gospel, he preached repentance. The very first statement that Peter preached after the Pentecost, repentance, Acts 2.38. Now, repentance 
is a change of mind. Kenneth Wiest writes it in his uh, translation of this New Testament. Wiest translation, W-U-E-S-T, highly recommend. Those of, those of us who cannot be Greek scholars can read Greek literal translation into English and we can benefit a, a great deal by reading the Greek translations, or the Greek transliterated, or rather, translated word for word. Kenneth Wiest says about repentance, he translates Matthew 3, verse 2. He says repentance, he changes it, he says, by be having a change of mind, instead of saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says be having a change of mind which issues in regret and a change of conduct. That's his definition of repent. Repentance does not mean having a penance, inflicting punishment upon your body to pacify the anger of God. Repentance is to have a change of mind and to have a change of conduct, which of course has the sorrow, the element of sorrow is built into it a godly sorrow leadeth men to repentance, not to be repented of, 1 Corinthians 7 chapter. Repentance comes about by looking at the law of God. Galatians 4 chapter talks about it and says that the law is a schoolmaster. That means the law tells us that we've broken the commands of God. The law leads us to a point where we realize we are sinners. We are lost on our way to hell. That realization is important in, a, in salvation. That we are guilty before God. That's a very crucial step for salvation. If you don't have that guilt about your past life, where will there be a sorrow? Where will there be a change of mind? There has to be a change of mind that is based upon the guilt. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5.17. He says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There is a U-turn embedded in that verse, a U-turn. We used to, we have that nursery hymn, I don't know if we sing it here. It says, the things I used to do, I don't, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since Jesus came into my life. Yes. There's a... One uh, man of God wrote, the creation took place in seven days. I believe it's a literal seven days. But the new creation takes a lifetime. Yes. God created the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is under the sea in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. But the second creation, the new creation, it starts, but it takes a lifetime. 
there was a story about a woman who wanted to become a member in the church. So the pastor came to her and asked her, were you a sinner before you became a Christian? She said, yes. Are you a sinner after you became a Christian? She said, yes. Pastor wanted to know, explain yourself. And she said, before I became a Christian, I was a sinner running to sin. After I became a Christian, I am a sinner running away from sin. You see, there's an attitude change once you become a Christian. So coming back to our portion here, is not about works, like I said before. I'm going to describe exactly what it is. I'm going to dissect it apart, this verse that I have here, to understand exactly what Paul is telling us. He says, if ye mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. So we already established that this is not a works-based religion. This is not a works-based salvation. Here we're talking about eternal life and abundant life, the life that comes about because of the mortification of sin in believers. Now, what is this? It says if. If you look at the word if, that a condition to say that if you do this, you get this, right? And Luke might relate to this. In computer science, you have this if-then-else statements. If this happens, then you do this, else you do this, conditioned cause and effect, but no. Here he's talking about when it says if, it's almost as if to say that if, uh, let's say you have a disease, and uh, if you take this medicine, you will live. Uh, your disease will be cured in that sense. It is true that this medicine has the power to heal. There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about salvation here. He's talking about a means to an end that is already determined because you are saved. So he's not talking about bringing about salvation by going through this process, but it is about the process itself how it happens. There's no prerequisite of works for salvation. He's saying, if ye, ye means you people, and you people he's talking about are those people, those who are not under condemnation. First verse says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are, who walk by the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We see the two laws, law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus and the law of sin and death. This for those who are saved from condemnation to those people Paul is talking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. You do not walk 
after the flesh, but after the spirit. You who have the spirit of Christ in you, verse 9, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If you are in the spirit, make sure that the spirit of God dwells in you. And Christ is in you, and because of that, the body is dead, but the spirit is alive. The salvation process already began in the human being. We are talking about the believers who are saved. Those are the people who need to go through this mortification. But this has to happen not by our own selves. This mortification, I'll explain exactly what mortification is. It has to be brought about by the Holy Spirit. If you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. That is the only way that a believer is able to mortify, to put to death, to kill the body of sin. There is no other way possible. The Spirit has to, first of all, bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Verse 15. Verse 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The spirit's work is manifold. We cannot ex expound upon that work of the Holy Spirit. But we see here many things the Holy Spirit does also, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, the deep prayer life that the believers can get into. That's in verse 26. Also, we see that he's talking about the flesh or the body. If you, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Now, what is this body? The body is the old man. Romans 6, verse 6, it talks about it. It is the old man or the body of sin. Let us see if we can get to that. Romans 6, verse 6. It says, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed. The body of sin, or the old man. It was uh, believed that in the olden days, the Roman government, the Roman executioners, they perfected the art of, uh, well, I shouldn't say art, the, the process of execution of killing people. They perfected that process. If you look at crucifixion, I'll describe that in more detail. So gory, so horrendous, horrific. One of the ways they used to kill criminals is to take a dead body and bind it to a living being, a criminal dead body tied to a living person 
And that person is free to go anywhere he wanted. He was not imprisoned. Dead body attached to his body, and he's free to go wherever he wanted. And that was a slow death. Always under the supervision of the guards. Never allowed to remove the dead body. Always allowed, forced to carry the dead body. And as the body putrefied, and that the putrefication process started going into the living body, and the body started to rot, and there was a slow death, slow death. Horrifying. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, old man. The old man is crucified to the cross. But we have that body with us. Now there is the, Noah talked to us about this one here before the evil trinity. Not the evil trinity we see in the Revelation. The false prophet, the beast, and Satan. I mean, Antichrist, false prophet, and Satan. Evil trinity. There's the evil trinity given in Ephesians, second chapter. And you get a chance to go through it and read it. First three verses. The evil trinity, the prince of the power of air, Satan, the world that's around us, and the flesh, the evil trinity. They are working in conjunction to kill the new life, to extinguish the new life that is within us. Maybe it's time for us to take a look at this video that I just want to show you how this works, how this world, Satan and our own flesh work in conjunction to bring about the slow process of taking away the new life from us. Can we just take a look at that? Did I not quote from the saying, let us beware of the snare of the fowler? You did. We had no evil intentions. Why were we caught in Satan's net? Because we are mortals. But listen, I quoted from the book incorrectly. It reads here of our Lord. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Deliver us, Christian, from this? Yes, faithful, he will deliver us. It is a promise of his book, and not one of his promises has ever been broken. He delivered me from my strong enemy. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. It was a great deliverance, a time for joy and wonderment. But then, from across the nearby hills, came the sounds of Vanity Fair. Go. You are in the world, but not of the world. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. 
is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. I said in my heart, enjoy pleasure, and behold, this also is vanity. I made great works, I built houses, I planted vineyards, I gathered silver and gold. Vanity Fair, so like so much of the world, where people look to shallow laughter and the dust of things, to sham and shadow for their satisfaction. Prince, an honor of our kingdom. 
In all his young years, Hopeful had never seen anyone defy the prince. But neither had he seen anyone quite like these two strangers who had so suddenly appeared. Give me the book. Does this book command you not to bow down before me? Does it? It does, sir. Did I not quote from the saying, let us beware of the snare of the fowler? You did. We had no evil intentions. Why were we caught in Satan's net? Because we are mortals. Okay, that was Pilgrim's Progress, written by John Bunyan. And it's uh, available on, online if you'd like to read, uh, go through the entire, entire story, because the book itself is a classic. So, Pilgrims, the early immigrants to this nation, the forefathers of this nation who founded this nation were called Pilgrims because of that book, written by John Bunyan. Pilgrim's Progress. In this book, we see Vanity Fair, the entertainment of the world that ridicules God, minimizes the relevance of God, and mocks at the word of God. The entertainment of this world, we need to be very careful. There are some times when we are looking at entertainment from the world. God becomes small in our eyes. Have you noticed sometimes? That is when we want to take a step back and say, that is not for me. Is anybody here who has an enemy to his dad? Who always ridicules his dad? Who spreads falsehood about lies and falsehood about your dad? He hates him to the core. Would you bring him to your living room and joke with him? That's what this world is. One of the evil trinities. Minimizes the relevance of God and tries to tell us the word of God is a lie. Yes. But we see the... the, the the sin, the body of sin, the old man, is not just the world, not just Satan. We have the body of sin within us. And what is this body of sin? What does it do? The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, which says in Galatians 5.19. Galatians 5.19 onwards, we see. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, depravity, idolatry, Sorcery, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish rivalries, dissensions, factions, envying, murder, drunkenness, carousing, and similar things. I'm warning you, as I had warned you before, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yes. 
Paul is talking to Galatians, and he's telling them, do not allow the flesh to do its work. Do not allow the flesh to do its work. The flesh is naturally inclined to do all these things. Yes, we, we naturally envy people who have things that we don't have. We naturally love those who love us. We naturally hate those who hate us. Jesus talked about it and we had it in our, our Bible study, Matthew 5, 48 onwards. You have said that it was said by them of all time. You have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. What does he do? He sends rain on the just and on the wicked. He allows his son to rise on, on the good and on the evil. This is God. For if you salute them which, which salute you, what do ye more than others? Do not even the worst of sinners do the same thing? If you love them which love you, what do you do more than other people? The worst of sinners do the same thing. What's so different about you? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Be ye therefore holy, even as your Father which is in heaven is holy. Warren Wearsby talks about it, and I mentioned this before. Warren Wearsby says there are three levels of interaction among humans. And he says there are those who do good for good and evil for evil. And that is a human interaction, just the normal everyday thing. Everybody does this. You love your friends and hate your enemies. Then there's a demonic level, demonic level. You do evil to those who do good to you. You intentionally do wrong things to those who've done good things to you. That is demonic. And then there is the divine level. You pray for them who are lost, who are intentionally harming you, hurting you. I'm not saying you become a doormat to them, but you are wise, but you are in, intently praying that they become good people, that they do not incur the anger and wrath of God. That's a divine level. But coming back here, we see, like I said before, if you mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. This process is a process for a deeper Christian life. This is the way for all Christians to live. All Christians have to, to go through this. This process is required for every believer. Mortify, like I said before, is to crucify, to kill, to put to death. That's the meaning of mortify. These days, in the secular world, mortify has a totally different connotation. Mortify probably means embarrassment, or consternation, or shame. 
But in the Old English, in the Biblical English, and in the theological terms, mortify means to crucify, to put to death. Philippians 3rd chapter, verse 10 and verse 11, Paul talks about the dung and about the crucifixion of the flesh. He says, let's look at that, Philippians 3rd chapter, 10 and 11. Oh, that I may know him. And he actually talks about his history. I was, uh, I was this, I was great, I was, I was uh, trained, I was the tribe of Benjamin, of the Pharisee of Pharisees, trained under the best Gamaliel, and I, concerning the law, blameless, and concerning zeal, persecuting the church, I was great. But I consider that all dung for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. I'm doing all this because I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformable unto his death. This is the process. Go through the same process that Christ has gone through. I want to go through the same process that Christ has gone through. Yes. Paul is saying, mortification is what I want to do. And so the best, the best of believers make it their aim to go through this mortification, the process of killing the body. He says in Colossians 3rd chapter onwards, so we don't have the time to go through it. He says, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated on the right hand. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is alive shall appear, then shall he also appear with him in glory. And then he says this, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, and idolatry. He's saying, you are dead in Christ. You have been risen with Christ. And you will appear with Christ. And you have to mortify the members which are upon the earth. Yes, all of us. If Paul is saying that, we have to do it. 1 Corinthians 9, chapter, verse 27, he talked about it. And he said, I beat my body and bring it into subjection that having preached to others, I might myself be a castaway. I might become disqualified if I don't do it. This is what Paul is saying. I have preached to others. I've done great things. But no, no, no. I want to beat my body and bring it into subjection. Yes. Now, what is this mortification? How do we execute it? How do we do it? Just do it the way Christ has done it. Jesus said it. If any man come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. Jesus said, Lord, not my will, but thine be done. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed that. Not my will, but thine be done. Now, the process of crucifixion, like I said before, the Romans perfected this uh, act of killing a human. And the cross is the ultimate when you hang a person on the cross, 
only three nails and a thorn of a crown of thorns and prior to that you are beaten with whips so that your back is bleeding your back is bleeding the whole body the weight of your body is resting upon two nails that are supporting you to the to the wood on which you are hanging and as you're hanging there like that your feet also have a support because they're nailed and as the body sags comes under the weight the back is the the bleeding the blood from the back is slowly healing the bleeding is slowly going away you get that layer but as the body sags down the lungs also sag down and touch the diaphragm and the lungs get shortage of oxygen as you hang down like that you are sagging down like that and your lungs are getting running short of air and then you use your feet to push yourself up so your lungs can get some extra oxygen and then the blood from the heart can start pumping and sending blood back to the body and as you scratch your back the bleeding starts again but your body gets that extra breath of oxygen extra blood and so it survives a little bit longer and this process goes on goes on until the body is bleeding away and slowly loses strength finally dies that's the process of crucifixion that's what we have to do as we go through the same process that Christ has gone through as Paul was saying Philippians 3rd chapter 10th verse we do not allow that extra supply of oxygen and blood to the body yes as men we are tempted with many things going on the internet spending a lot of time on the internet playing video games when there's a there are women scantily clad walking about us we cannot but look those are the things that give extra oxygen extra supply of blood that you need to starve the starve it starve it starve it of all the supply that it reinvigorates the body you want to kill it you want to engage in a battle with this old body the body of sin body of death king david when he wrote the psalm psalm 51 against thee the only have i sinned create in me a clean heart of god and renew a right spirit within me there he says my sin is ever before me he's saying just look at it analyze it how did you fall analyze it 
just as you trace the, the serpent all the way to its head so it can kill the head. And in all its twistings and turnings, you trace it all the way back to the head so you can kill it. Analyze it. We have it in our uh, corporate sales. We, we talk about it. They say, when you compete against a competitor, you want to first analyze the strengths of the competition, the weakness, the opportunity, and the threat. Strength, weakness, opportunity, threat. Identify. Identify the enemy, the strength of the enemy, the weakness of the enemy, the opportunities that they have against you, and the threats that they lay for you. Identify it. This is the only way for us to modify the body successfully. As I have so much more I want to say, for the sake of time, I will have to stop it. But this we have to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything else is superstition and ritualistic religion. We cannot do it by our own strength. It is only by the power of the Spirit of God that we can do it. It says that when two boxes are fighting, what happens when you tie the hands of one of the boxers? You'll always be defeated. Don't tie the hands of the boxer who is fighting for you. That's the Holy Spirit. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Quench not the Holy Spirit. As believers, we have to go through this process of the mortification of sinners, of, of, uh, of, the, of uh, the deeds of the body, mortification of the sinful flesh. Shall we close in prayer? Loving Father, thank you, Lord, and praise you for your grace and for your mercies. Lord, you gave us of your word. We pray, Lord, that you'll use this word for your glory. For in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.